What's up, everyone? Welcome to La Boyera y el Congo. My name is Ayala Watson, and I'm here with our co-host and a very special guest. I'll let my co-host go first. What's up, Bishop? What's good? What's good? How you feeling right now? I'm all right. You know, I'm chilling. Okay, cool. Alejandro, how you doing? What's up, y'all? It's Ale. Uh, I'm doing pretty good, too. I'm doing pretty good. Chilling. What about you? How you doing? I'm so excited. Let me tell you why I'm so excited. I'm so excited because my bestie's here. Um, We have our very special guest for this episode, the second, the third, third episode of Figures of the Future, um, our activist series. We have Anange Kalustie. The queen. She's mad hype. She's mad hype. I'm so hype. My bestie. Please, Ananga, can you introduce yourself to the people? Sure. So um, thank y'all for having me on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Y'all thinking of me. Um, like Ayala said, my name's Inange. I am a senior undergraduate student here at Clark uh, University in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, I'm originally from Prince George's County, Maryland. Shout out to the DMV. Um, and I am, along with Ayala, the co-founder and co-president of the Clark Athletics Inclusion Coalition. And that's me. We love that about you. We love everything about you, actually. Uh, can you tell us what you study um, and your cat's name? <laughs> so um, I'm a psych major with a minor in biology on the pre-med track. Although I plan on getting my master's um, either in health science or public health um, with a concentration in epidemiology before I go to medical school. And my cat, she's sitting behind me and her name is Asada, like Asada Shakur. A house filled with activists. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Ayala is dead geeking right now. I am. Imagine I see her every day, talk to her every day, and I am just impressed every day. As you should. Period. Who wants to start with the first question? Okay, I will. Um, so, Anange, if you would like to answer, do you consider yourself an activist, and what does it mean to you to be an activist? That's a good question. I feel like, especially in light of um kind of just like the social uprising that has been happening like across the country particularly in this past year I feel like um a lot of people have started to become more involved in um like our social and political climate in this nation but with that I feel like people are also kind of picky about like how they would I guess, define what activism is or like who can call themselves an activist. And I, I don't think it's that deep. Like, I think that if you are committed to a cause and you're willing to like put in work, then you can consider consider yourself an activist. Like as long as you have the interests or the, the causes like best interests at heart, pretty much. So I would definitely consider myself an activist. And so in doing that, where do you sort of draw your inspiration from? Is it from like a particular family member or an event? Um, what sort of keeps you motivated and sort of prevents you from, say, having activist fatigue if you do have that? That's a good question. I feel like in terms of inspiration, 
there are a lot of people both in my life directly as as well as um you know like notable figures that I watched growing up in particular my mom she's a very passionate person like everything that she does she gives it 110% so I kind of grew up with the, with that influence and you know and took that basically to be like okay well if I'm going to be committed to something like it can't be like you know like 50% like you have to give it your all you know it can't just be like for show um I guess you could also talk about what communities you you consider yourself serving as as an activist I guess that's also where you drive where you draw your inspiration from oh okay I remember what I was gonna say um I would also say that I started to become more active in like I guess fighting for certain causes after particularly as they pertain to like race relations um, after I came to college, being in an environment at a predominantly white institution it was vastly different from the environment that I grew up in. And, you know, as I look back on it, I definitely took um, being from PG County for granted. And I definitely thought that, um, well, just for some context, PG County is a majority black county in Maryland and that's like how I grew up and I kind of like thought that the rest of the United States looked like that for some reason that's clearly not the case but yeah I mean it's kind of like I was just able to live in this bubble um, and kind of just be ignorant to everything and then you know when I came up here and I was like oh that's not the case like that's kind of when I was like yeah like I definitely want to be able to like use my voice and use my platform um, especially for like people who don't necessarily, I don't know, have the capability to do that themselves. So you talked about where you get your inspiration from, um, but could you also talk more about what exactly are the best parts or even the, or should I say the, um, the most fulfilling parts and or the most challenging parts about being activism? Because I'm sure there's a little bit of both right I feel like the most like frustrating part and this is just something that comes to mind like all the time is just the fact that it's like you know you're putting in so much work and it's hard to see sometimes it can be hard to see the payoff because it's kind of like a more long-term thing you know what I mean um and it's like it's frustrating because it's like I'm doing all this stuff like and you but you can't expect to see results overnight I think for, for most things, I would say. Um, so that's like, I would definitely say the most frustrating part. And I think that's a reason that a lot of people get burnt out. Um, if they're like very active, um, like with mul like within multiple causes, especially, I would say the most rewarding part is if you are able to stick it out, like actually like, you know, reflecting on everything that you've done and being like, okay, like I actually am making change, you know? So like Ayala and I, like we have cake and um, we've been like an official club for two years now. And it's just kind of like, it was hard to see the progress, I guess at first, but you know, when you actually look back and be like, okay, these are all the initiatives we've done. Like, this is what we've implemented in um, the athletics department and across the university. It's like, okay, like I actually, I see, I see what we've done, you know, so. I want to get into it a little bit deeper um on your work specifically Anange uh throughout your four years of college maybe even work that you've done before or maybe even outside of the Clark campus what is it that 
you know, what, what areas do you focus on and what have you fulfilled in the past few years or what are you working on now? Thank you for that question. I feel like, um, so like I said before, um, just making the transition from home to college is when my identity as a black woman became much more salient because obviously if you're surrounded by people that look like you, like you're not gonna be constantly thinking about like your identity. And so for me, the way that that like ended up manifesting is that like my identity plays a role in pretty much every like decision I make. Um, and it, you know, it, I find it making its way into like the causes that I care about. So I would say like in terms of the work that I do at Clark, whether it's like organizational work, um, like with CAKE or BSU or whatever have you. And then like, I have my research. So like right now I'm conducting an honors thesis and that's kind of exploring the attitudes of black um, undergraduate students at PWIs as well as HBCUs, like in regard to their, like how accessible they feel like their healthcare um, services are at their school. So kind of seeing how like, the environment plays a role in the type of healthcare that's provided. Um, and so that's kind of like looking at like racial biases in healthcare and things like that. Um, so and then like outside of that, I would just say like, you know, in terms of police brutality and things like that, it's, 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 hmm, how do I phrase this? It's hard not to like see yourself or see your loved ones in like, the position where it's like, okay, another person, like another black person has been shot dead on the news. It's like, that could be anyone, you know, like, especially when it hits so close to home, like stuff that was happening in Maryland and DC. So it's like, okay, well, if I can be doing anything with my time, like I would like to be like using my platform and using my voice and protesting and things like that. So those are just like some of the activities and like how my identity plays a role in like what I put my time into. I wanted to go off of something that you mentioned, um, specifically about it hitting close to home. If you would like to, you, if you're, if it's too much, I totally understand. But would you be able to give us your experiences on how you felt with the protests and demonstrations happening in DC, and then in comparison to the insurrection that happened on January sixth? And I asked that because, um, you know, there were a lot of large demonstrations nationwide and even worldwide, but something about it, that, about you being so close to DC and the White House and at such a like prominent time, like I would really like to get your your take on that. Um, it was interesting to see the types of people that were coming out to protest because um, there were literally like, you in the summertime, you could find like 10 different protest groups happening like any, on any given day, which is really great. But on the flip side, like there were a lot of, um, I guess like, what is it? I mean, I guess you call them like anti-protesters, like people that were just coming out to, you know, spew their hatred and everything. How do I feel about it? It was just, honestly, I'm just thinking about like one day in particular that I was out protesting and this group of like black Trump supporters came out of nowhere and they started like arguing with like the group that I was with and like literally like spitting at us and shit. And like the police came and they were like trying to like 
they like try to like put a barrier in between us and like they were trying to like escort the group away and I'm just like so so y'all are gonna protect black lives only when they serve your purpose you know what I'm saying like that was just really tough to watch honestly it was really disheartening because like especially because I know that a lot of people were coming from like out of town to protest as well and that's just like very disruptive to like the community in general you know what I mean um especially when they don't have like DC's best interests at heart uh so that was tough to watch um I was gonna say something else I can't think of what I was gonna say but and then in terms of like what happened on January 6th um it was definitely scary just because it was like so I live about like 20 minutes out the city so like I don't need to be there unless I need to be there type of thing it was like, okay, well that's going on. Like, at least I know my family is safe, like in PG. Um, and I was like, no one would dare come to PG, you know, cause it's like majority black. Like people usually like leave us alone for the most part. But then I heard that like people were <clears throat> like anti, like Trump people were like setting up shop, like literally right across the street from my high school. And I was like, you know, that kind of like took me aback. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I don't know like what their intentions are like how long they're gonna be there. So that definitely made me nervous. Yeah, that's exactly why I wanted to ask that question because the protest I went to in Boston was huge, like huge. And we ended up at the, was it City Hall? It was a government building. And just experiencing that, like in itself, there was like a cop car that drove into the crowd and all of these like armed officers were, protecting the building and have like you know they were just pointing at us all stuff like that it was very scary so to even be close to the madness and the actual like the national threat that took place on the 6th I couldn't even imagine like that's it's a lot yeah not you raising your hand this is a I podcast want to, I don't want to interrupt you nah I was just about to add like I remember because over the summer, like my internship was remote, so I could pretty much do my work and then do whatever I wanted. So I was protesting, like I would probably say like most days, honestly, before I came back up to Worcester. And there was one day in DC and it was July 4th. And obviously like, I don't celebrate the 4th personally. So I was like, I don't like, I'm gonna go protest. So we went up to DC to protest and, um, I just remember like our crowd walking through um, the the monument, like the pencil, if you know what I'm talking about. And um, it was just crazy because that's usually where they do fireworks, like the big fireworks in DC happen at the monument. And it was crazy because it was like, there were protesters and then there were like thousands of people that just there to watch the fireworks. Like it was any other day, you know what I'm saying? And it was like, they saw very well like what we were there for. And they also saw the violence that was being, um, that was happening like against us because like there were multiple people that literally like were just trying to like start fights, you know what I mean? And it was like, it was just crazy to see like the police response because their biggest thing was like, let's get these people out of there. You know what I'm saying? They weren't there to protect us necessarily. Um, and then like when we were walking past the people who were just there watching fireworks like they would be like they would tell their kids like not to look 
and stuff like that. And I'm just like, so you're just gonna, you're ignorant yourself. You're gonna, you're gonna raise ignorant children. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, it honestly just like spoke volumes to me. Honestly, that was like one of the most, I don't know, like emotional that I've gotten about everything. Cause it was just so like, the differences were so stark. And honestly, it, like as it became nighttime, it honestly just looked like, I don't know, like a scene from a movie. Like there was like the smoke from the fireworks and everything, but then it was like, you don't know if it was gunshots, you know what I mean? It was, just, it was a lot, honestly. So I think before when you were talking about, you're, I, I hear a lot of what you were talking about earlier in terms of the frustrations of how do you how do you manage that feeling of having emotionally charging events like the one you were just talking about happen, um, but also that feeling that you said earlier about wanting change to happen, also understanding it doesn't necessarily happen over overnight. And like battling between that dynamic, if that makes sense. Yeah, if I could put it, I don't even know how to put it into words because I struggle with that too. But it'd be like being so drained and even traumatized sometimes, but also so desperate for change at the same time and kind of accepting. Like I, I at least have to sometimes accept that, right, it's not going to happen overnight. And it may not, I, like, I may never see it in my lifetime. So yeah, that's why I, I would put it. I think for me, like, you know, there are definitely times where I'm like, I just wish I could like go back and just never have learned about any of this, you know, cause ignorance is bliss. But in terms of like, how do I manage it? Um, I think that, I don't wanna phrase this wrong. Cause I don't wanna say like, I contain the activism to activism. Cause that's definitely not true. And Ayala knows that I actually can't do that. I wish I could, I can't. But I think like, I'm very privileged in the sense that I have support from my family and friends. Um, and so like, while activism and, you know, fighting for like racial equity can be very frustrating for me. Like not every, I guess, aspect of my life is frustrating. So just making sure that I don't bring that frustration home, if that makes sense, like making sure that I have the proper support system so that like, you know, I'm not like constantly having to educate white people and then I go home and I'm like having to do more education. No, like that, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? Like I can have a conversation with my friends and family, but it's like, I'm not going to stay here and continue to stress myself out like in my safe space. Um, and I think like, it's definitely taking me time to realize like, who's, I guess like whose friendships are worth educating to a certain extent uh, or like even worth like holding on to, especially at Clark. Like, cause I'm just, I can't be friends with people who aren't willing to like make the steps to learn for me. You know what I mean? So it's just like, just making sure that I'm not always like, constantly tense like tensed up and just like on edge at every point in my life that's like one of the main ways that I go about that it's hard though I do be bringing it home but I try not to um you have any tips on how to do that because not only do I bring it home I bring it to sleep with me like I cuddle with it I dream about it (laughs) Um, the anger stays within me. I wake up, I eat with it. Like, what's the secret? What's the key? Honestly, 
ma'am, I wish I could tell you. I don't know. I've been talking to my mom a lot about this. And like, she, she's always like, I was, I was just like you when I was growing up. I was like constantly like just mad at the world. And I'm like, okay, well, I have reasons to be mad. And she's like, you know, she, she definitely like tries to preach, like be patient with, I guess, like with, with people and like with the world and progress and things like that. But it's, it's frustrating because I'm like, I think there's a difference between patience and like, um, like compliance. Like I'm not, I'm not about to comply with these people. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to compromise. None of that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, I see that she's trying to protect me and she's trying to like have me avoid the, I guess, some of like the downfalls that she went through, um, you know, as she got older and, you know, came into like a more professional setting, but it's just, it's really frustrating. I don't even know where I was going with that. It's just really frustrating, honestly, because I, yeah, I do bring it home a lot and like, I don't know, like maybe I talk about it too much, but it's like, how can I not, you know? Like this is this is my life. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just honestly, these four years, just relentless, just beating me down with the stick, you know? And it's just like, just give me two seconds, please. Just let me get up. <laughs> but I'm, I'm still working on it. It's definitely a work in progress. Interesting that you uh, mentioned those four years because Bishop's Bishop's uh, audio is not working, but she does. She did let us know something she wants to ask you. So relating it to, you know, this sense of always getting beat down and this tale of two cities that you alluded to back with um, the D.C. protest. How would you compare that or how would you would you first first and foremost, would you compare that to what goes on within Clark's campus? That's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> Honestly, that's something I've been thinking about a lot, like just in terms of us wanting um, change, like within the administration and change um, for like Clark University protocols and things like that. It's interesting because I feel like I've been seeing so many parallels between like, like Ayala, I was telling you earlier, like I saw parallels between like Clark University as a whole and then Clark Athletics like department specifically. But I feel like you can even draw that to like a larger basis and be like Clark University as a whole and how that parallels um, like the change or I guess lack of change that we see within society. And it's, it's, it's honestly mind boggling to me the way that you can be like, we need A, B and C. And they're like, we hear you, we listen to you. We're here to like, you know, just all this bullshit and they actually don't do anything. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, I don't know what more you want from me because it just seems like, um, you know, we just go to these meetings back to back to back to back and they say the same things. <laughs> they say the same things and they're asking to, they're asking for us to do their jobs. I'm not giving you a budget, sir. That's your job. You know what I'm saying? Like what more, ma'am, give me the paycheck. I'll do your job. But I'm not doing it if that's not the case. And honestly, like, that's another thing that I've been talking to my mom a lot about, because like, if you know me in real life, like, I love to say, like, that's not my business. That's not my job. Just because like these white people have worked me so hard these past four years. And like, I just have to start learning to say no. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just cannot do this. I'm not doing this free labor anymore. And like, my mom is like, 
she always gets so mad at me when I say like, that's not my job. Cause she's like, if it's not your job, then who's gonna do it? And I'm like, I don't know, ma'am. That's their job to figure it out. So, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, if you're actually committed to change, take the suggestions that we're giving you, <laughs> call corporate, literally like, I just, it, it is honestly just so crazy to me. Like, and honestly, I feel like they use a lot of the same tactics. Like, um, <laughs> this is funny, but I was just like thinking about how like, um, they keep like calling us into meetings to discuss like the same, the same five things. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is literally like y'all are filibustering right now. Like relax. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you're not actually addressing anything. Uh, it's just frustrating. Real quick before our yellow goes off, because I know I yellow wants to, but um, I just I mean this in the best way possible. But I'm just I'm just so glad that you're going through this pain because we're I feel like it's something that we're all just feel one way or another, and it's just so glad. I'm just so like I'm smiling listening to it because it's like you get it, like you're literally saying it better than I could have said it, and it's just. Yes, I, was, it's, I understand. It's crazy that you said that, Ale, because I was thinking about it and like my friends who are like activists like on their campus as well like they literally the same thing happens you know what I'm saying like the same thing happens on their campus so I'm just like it's just so crazy to me how how these schools have no intention of changing and they all use the same tactics to like try to avoid the conversation or avoid the topic you know what I mean oh my gosh it's so frustrating makes my head do be crazy right I promise I won't go off. However, I do want oh to <laughs> no because you know I would do it a little too much. I do want to um, get a little specific about what Clark Athletic does and how I think it goes back to what Anagi was saying how it represents like it can be a microcosm to what happens university wide to what happens statewide nationwide like this one thing that just pisses me off that this institution does is how they let white people get off scot-free and they I think honestly my my thing about it I mean white privilege a hundred percent I think it's also the fact that they themselves would not be able to handle any consequences for the similar things that they would have to punish these white students for by that I mean that these white administrators and staff members that should be in charge of giving the consequences know that they've done similar things that these students are doing and they can't face the fact that they're one doing it currently in their job to the staff members to their team members and wouldn't want to you know show like put a spotlight on this one kid that is doing exactly what they're doing because then they would have to fess up to what they're doing as well that's one and two for some for some reason for some reason the excuse of having different opinions having different perspectives coming from different places it's not doing it for me anymore it's not we all saw what happened on january 6th we saw it it's not an excuse anymore no you don't get to use that excuse they do not get to the the minute the first person rushed into the capital they should not be able to use that excuse any longer what do you think about it <laughs> no i mean like 
oh my god it's honestly infuriating like just thinking about it I've honestly I've been reflecting a lot on my time here and just like the things I've seen the things I've experienced and I'm just like you people are not and yes I say you people are not even trying to hide it you're not even trying to act like you care like you give a single ounce of a fuck you know what I'm saying and it's just like I think it's it's too it's multi-layered. So on the first level, like you said, Ayala, these people, these these coaches, these administrators, they see these these young these young white men just acting a fool, and they see themselves in that. You know, it's very much it's giving. Oh well, you know, I did the same thing. I was I did things much worse when I was his age. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't excuse it. Two, not only do they give them cut cards because they see themselves, like they see their image in, in these young white men. On top of that, we will never get the benefit of the doubt like that because your oppressor is never going to see the humanity in you. They can't treat you like that if they don't view you as human. And that's the issue. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's just like every step along the way is just like discrediting after discrediting. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, I don't know, bro. Like I've really been thinking, because honestly, I've been having um this, I guess these past two months for me have been very like, um, you know, my prayers are being answered, you know, I'm receiving the blessings. And it's just like I've worked for this, you know what I'm saying? But I know for a fact that there are people out there that will discredit any any good thing that I've ever done in my life. Oh, she got into a good grad school, affirmative action has to be there's no way she did that on her own merit and I'm just like you know what no nah, let me stop because I'll actually I'll actually get in no keep it going keep it going tell them your merit tell them tell them your status they don't know your get body it, what's it. up get it in. <laughs> no nah, but it's just uh it's just really it's honestly been really like eye-opening to me because okay I don't want to say that I did not like experience racism growing up <laughs> I don't want to say I didn't experience racism because I think like growing up in a majority black community, there was racism in the, in the sense that it was like um, the resources that we had compared to like other places. Like it was very much like environmental racism and like kind of just like the opportunities that we were granted in terms of like one-on-one, I just really did not come into contact with that many white people growing up. So like, I just like, I, I didn't, I, I did not know how bad things were until I came up here and people like on my soccer team are like, yeah, well I had, there was like one black person in my graduating class. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, that's so foreign to me. Like, it's just crazy to think about, you know, like, and I don't want to, I don't want to like miss, misrepresent like how I grew up. I would definitely say that like the things that I experienced were more like, um, like within the black community, there's always going to be like policing of black women um, in terms of like their appearance and things like that. Like I definitely experienced that. Like, um, you know, like I definitely got sent to the administrator's office in high school for my shorts being too short or whatever have you, like things like that. You know what I'm saying? Like things like within the black community, but like in terms of like prejudice from other people. No, actually this is when I really got exposed. So my junior year of high school, I joined a club soccer team and that's kind of like club soccer is like 
the way that you get recruited for high or for college, you can't really get recruited off a high school team for the most part. So I was like, okay, if I want to play in college, I have to join a club soccer team. But there weren't any club soccer teams near me because um, soccer is not as big in PG and also club soccer is really expensive. So there's no club teams. So I had to go to Montgomery County, which is a majority white county. I think it's the richest county in Maryland to join a team. And I was the only black girl on my team. And like, that was like my first experience of like, this is crazy, you know, like the stuff that like people were saying, like my teammates were like, oh, you're from PG. Like, I heard it's so dangerous. I'm like, where? Like, at what, what, where's the danger? Am I missing it? What's happening? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and it's just, oh my gosh. And then like, after I decided to come to Clark, I was kind of like, the way that I had like prepared it in my mind, I was like, okay, so it's gonna be like being at club soccer practice, but all the time. I was, oh my God, I was not ready. I was not ready, I'll tell you that much. But um, I don't even remember what the question was, honestly. <laughs> but um, it's been a wild ride to say the very least. It really has. And no, I was just gonna say it would take, it would honestly take me like five days to explain like the dynamics of PG because it's like a very like unique area, I would say. And like how that um, kind of like set me up for my college experience, or I guess didn't. Not that it's PG's fault, but <laughs> you see what I'm saying. Before we go any further, I just want to give a little commercial break really fast because one thing that we've noticed here during this series is that our guests are so modest. Oh my gosh, so modest. We're not doing that here. This is not the place. We do not um, minimize the accomplishments of activists, especially not no black women. So I'm just gonna read off here um, who Anange is real quick. Um, Anange is the first black um, captain of the women's soccer team in Clark history, thank you. Um, Inange is also co-founder, as she said, of the Clark Athletics Inclusion Coalition. She's a recipient of the President's Achievement Award, yes. Um, okay. <clears throat> do you wanna continue? Do you wanna continue on me, huh? I said not her reading off my resume. Facts, cause I can keep going, that's no problem. Do you wanna I, take I, it from here? I just wanna know where you got the printout from. I took notes. All right, you want me to hype myself up? Yes, go ahead. Um, like Ayala said, I am the captain of the women's soccer team and I happen to be the first black captain in program history, which is really cool. <laughs> and then on top of that, I am, um, well, we've been talking about cake this whole time and uh, me and Ayala co-founded that and we're the co-presidents of that. Um, I'm also involved with the BSU, I'm on the e-board, as well as the e-board for CASA, which is the Caribbean African Student Association. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. I don't know, I don't know what, what you want me to talk about. I mean, I do other things too, but I would say like, those are like my main involvements. I think you also mentioned something about people questioning your merits um, in terms of scholarliness. That's not a word. But do you catch where I'm going with this? Sure. You want me to talk about my acceptances? D do you want to talk about your acceptances? Because if you won't, I will. <laughs> I, think you, I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
Um, I was recently accepted into two graduate programs. Um, one is the MHS program at Johns Hopkins, and I'll be studying in the epidemiology department. And then the other one was the MPH program at Columbia, also for the epidemiology department. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to going to grad school. I'm kind of like switching gears here because like I have public health experience, but I'm, I don't have like data science experience at all. So the field of ep epidemiology is very like new to me. And that's kind of why I decided to pursue a master's before I go to med school is because um, I'm interested in getting my MD PhD. So hopefully I'll be practicing medicine as well as conducting epidemiological research. Um, but obviously I need to know how to do that <laughs> before I start doing my own research. So that's kind of like my motivation for that. I think we need to run that back real quick because she said all that with a straight face while I'm just here looking for the applause button and just wanting to just, you know, just graduate school, graduate school. Okay. Okay. We need to run it back. It's John Hopkins. It's the John Hopkins in the Columbia. The, the John Hopkins. The John Hopkins. So I need y'all to put respect on her name and this podcast name too, because y'all not going to be able to touch her when she graduates. Heard? Heard. Ivy League. Her. Hmm. I don't know. It's been wild. Like It's also been crazy just like after I heard that I got in like to those two programs and people being like, oh, congrats. Like not Like not even making a big deal out of it. Like they just knew that I was about to get in. I was like, I don't know what you knew that I didn't know, but I really hit submit on those applications. I said, well, damn, I just wasted my money. So, but here we are. And you know, like, I just been thinking about it and I'm like, I need to stop like counting myself out. You know, like I don't have the best undergraduate GPA. Like, you know, I don't have a three nine, a 4.0, you know what I'm saying? Like, like these other pre-med students, but like I have other things that like make me a worthwhile student. And that's just kind of like what I've been trying to realize lately. Um, and just because like people will take a look at me and be like, you know, like she definitely does not belong here. Like, especially in like my upper level, like chemistry classes, you know, things like that. And like, but it's not about like me going out of my way to prove you that like I do belong here. You know, I can just do that myself and keep it pushing. So. So you've talked a lot about um, your aspirations academically which are of course like we just went through are amazing what do you think are your future aspirations in terms of your activism and going and going past um Clark um it's definitely always going to be a part of me I'm definitely ready to shake shit up at whatever school I go to because um they're bound to have issues and these issues will be addressed but I guess like even just moving past that, I think like my, my passion and my desire to be a physician stems from my activism because like I, I didn't know, I didn't always know that I wanted to be a doctor. I'm not one of those people that's like, I was at, at two years old, I, I wanted a stethoscope. Like that's not my story, you know what I mean? Um, and just like seeing the other people that like, <laughs> this sounds kind of bad okay I definitely want it for myself you know what I'm saying but just like seeing the other people that I like that are pre-med like either at Clark or other institutions and just seeing that they don't give a fuck about anything outside of science like you cannot be a physician and you're you're if you're a physician you're a public servant at the end of the day you are serving the public you know what I'm saying so if you don't have a good grasp on 
um, like health disparities, social determinants of health, like how like racial biases play a role in, in the healthcare system. Like you're not going to be a good physician. You know what I'm saying? And this is why we see so many black people dying in, in the hands of these physicians because they don't give a fuck about us. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like, yeah, it's great to have, um, what was I about to say? I don't even know. It's just like the numbers are just not there. You know what I'm saying? I think like 5% of physicians are black, 5%. You know what I'm saying? It's like the numbers do not match up. We don't have enough physician. There's already a physician shortage in general. You know what I'm saying? And then on top of that, no one wants to work in what they would call like an undesirable community. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's just like, uh, oh my gosh, it's just so like multi-layered, but um, yeah, like I, I just want, I feel like a perspective like mine is one that's definitely very needed in the healthcare system. And I do see like, um, just on social media, like I follow like a lot of black female physicians and just to hear like their stories and their voices um, has been like really inspiring and something that keeps me going personally, even though like I literally don't know these people, but it's just like really encouraging. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it plays a big role in, or I wanted to play a big role in my, um, my long-term career. Yeah, Bishop had a question and I think you actually answered it and that answer perfectly. It was about like studying these racial um, discrepancies amongst your field. So yeah, that's amazing. I'm just so amazed by my friend. Look at my friend. I was just gonna add to that. Like, um, so my freshman year of college, I went to a, um, a conference that was specifically for um, like medical students and pre-med students of color. And one of the keynote speakers, I'm, I'm forgetting her name now, but she is a doctor and she teaches at the University of Minnesota currently. And she was, her presentation was on the fact that she teaches her first year um, medical students about how we often think that like, so, you know, there's always the statistics where it's like black people or like Latinx people are more likely to have the, like A, B, and C diseases, you know what I'm saying? And they make it seem like these diseases are like inherent to race, you know what I'm saying? Her whole presentation was about how like, it's not like the diseases don't have to do with race because race has no genetic basis. It has to do with like resources and the environment, you know what I'm saying? And that was like really eye-opening to me and something that I didn't even realize. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like she's right. You know, it's like, um, like black people are not more likely to get diabetes just because, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, it's all the factors that go into it that are external. Um, and for, for me, like that was very eye-opening and I'll definitely say like a pivotal moment in my career trajectory and like wanting to study um, health disparities and social determinants of health. And like, I kind of want to use epidemiology as a vessel to like explore that more. Okay. Well, it has been amazing to have you here with us. And usually we like to give our guests some time at the end to plug anything that they want people to know about um, your social media too, where they can find you, what you're doing next, things like that. Well, I just first want to thank y'all for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, it means a lot to me. I like all y'all so much. So this has been great to talk to y'all. Don't laugh at me. But um, yeah, what do I want to plug? I mean, I just think like it would be great if Kate could have a bigger following. 
<laughs> so follow us um, on Instagram at Clark Cake, C-A-I-C, Clark Athletics Inclusion Coalition. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram. I'm not about to spell out my whole name. But yeah, and that's pretty much it. So thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is all for today's episode. Thank y'all for tuning in. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye, Congo. Oh.